0: that do this for a living, and it's, a, it's slightly intimidating because when you're somebody like me that has limited skills, and you're talking to a guy that does it on an extremely high level, uh, it's a little intimidating, but we're going to get through it, and we're going to have a great conversation, and this guy is with Sweetfish Media, James Carberry. He produces podcasts for B2B Brands, Author of Content Based Network, the executive producer of B2B Growth, which is in the top 100 marketing podcast. I'm telling you, man, I am already just intimidated because of the the presence of this guy on this podcast. You can find him on LinkedIn at James Carberry, but you can find him right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. James, how you doing, brother?
1: I am fantastic, dude. You are way too kind, and there is nothing to be intimidated about. You're over there crushing it.
0: Well, I, you know. A blind, it's the blind squirrel theory in full effect. We find a nut every once
1: in a while. Hey James, I'm looking forward to this, man. It's gonna. Be no, fun. this
0: is this is great. And he, if you see it on video, James has got the killer, uh, the mic stand with B2B growth, and he's got the killer setup there. And and if I would take my virtual background down, you would just see how janky my setup is compared to his. So it's, it's it's great, man, Let me start here what do you think and and what do you see when when people approach your company sweet and i love the name sweet fish media i'm getting hungry dude because it's close to lunchtime. but but when people approach you with an idea and they go man i would love to do a podcast but
1: Mm.
0: what's the first thing that you get people to get out of their own way of when doing a podcast or thinking about launching a podcast,
1: yeah, that's a great question, Brian. So we work with a lot of companies. So that's those are the types of folks that are coming to us. They're typically a VP of marketing at a you know mid-market B two B technology company. That's the that's the market that we go after. And I think one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest hurdles that we have to get them over at first is are people actually listening to podcasts? Um, and so the the response to that is twofold. One, yes, they are. Um, and, and you can, that that's evidenced and I mean, you can pretty much ask, ask anybody, do you listen to podcasts? And they at least listen to one or two. Um, but the, the other thing that I think the exception
0: is, is my wife, James, I had to jump in there, man. My <laughs> wife, if you ask my wife, does she listen to the intentional encourager podcast? She's like, no,
1: nah. Lisa doesn't listen to our podcast either. She listens to a bunch of other ones. She couldn't give two turds about B2B growth. <laughs>
0: Hey man, Hey I love the way you put that. I didn't mean to jump in there because our wives are our biggest critics, man. And they're like, well, at least you might listen to your husband. And my wife goes, no, nah, I listen to him talk nope,
1: enough. Not a chance. But,
0: but I want to build on what you just said there, because that was my biggest thing in launching a podcast. I had done a ton of live radio. People kept saying, you need to do a podcast. My biggest fear was not knowing what I didn't know and how to actually get started do you find when you work with companies do you find that it's it's a lack of something to say they don't think they have enough to say or is it how do we even start by doing this how do we launch this thing the right way
1: Yeah I think it's how do we launch it the right way I think it I I, I also don't think that they understand that podcasting the benefit of podcasting is more so in the value they're going to get from the podcast as a content flywheel. So thinking about the podcast as an engine that creates lots of different content, right? So we're recording this on Zoom right now. You'll probably be able to get four or five clips out of this interview for micro videos that you can use on LinkedIn. You might have somebody from your team turn it into a slide deck on LinkedIn. That's another piece of content. Um, some people do audiograms. you could turn it into a blog post. you turn it into content for your email newsletter. So the podcast itself even if even if your wife was the only one listening to this brian if she if she does does decide you know it's someday she wants to listen to your podcast, everybody else says "I'm out." if she's the only one that listens to it. Uh, the content that you can create from the podcast, it's actually still worth doing it just because of the, the content flywheel that it creates. The other reason, and what it's what I wrote the book about, uh, content-based networking, the, the value from your show is more in the relationships that you can build with your guests that you feature. And so when we first started B2B Growth, i was not i i didn't obviously it's nice to have a top 100 podcast it's nice that we've been able to rank for the term b2b and b2b marketing in apple Podcasts. so we we've ended up attracting an audience but even if we didn't have an audience for the show it would still be worth it because when i reach out to a vp of marketing and a b2b tech company and i ask them to be a guest on the show they, they usually don't ask how big the audience is. They just say yes, because it's very rare for someone to be asked to be a guest on a podcast, especially if you're not an author or if you're not a big name in the space. And so we intentionally go after people that we think could ultimately make a decision to buy our service. We invite them to be a guest on the show. We highlight their expertise. We talk about what they're an expert in. And then, and then the friendship starts to happen. Then we actually, because we've had an interaction with them on our show, we, we, you know, stay in touch with them on LinkedIn. And if we think that they could be a good fit for our service, um, we'll either bring it up to them or they bring it up to us. And that's really the value of podcasting for companies that nobody is thinking about is when you're a media producer, you can all of a sudden. Get your foot in the door into rooms that you've never otherwise, you know, would have been able to get into. But you can step in because you, host a, you know because you host a podcast or because you do a blog or because you have a LinkedIn video series. It doesn't even have to be podcasting. It can be any sort of media. Um, but whenever you turn your spotlight on the other person, uh, it's how Oprah became famous. Oprah has an yeah. extremely compelling story, but we don't know Oprah's not a household name because she's got a compelling story herself. she's a household name because she became famous interviewing famous people yeah. and shining the spotlight and and being vulnerable and like her approach to interviewing uh is is fascinating and uh she got famous on the back of highlighting other people's stories um both famous people and non-famous people uh yeah. honestly and so uh so I, I think we can take a lesson from Oprah there and go, man, uh I can grow my influence and I can grow my reach by shining the spotlight on others. And you're obviously doing a fantastic job of that with this show. But Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I think the benefit is that, that a lot of folks are not necessarily thinking about. And so my entire book is about how do you, how do you reverse engineer relationships with the people that can actually help you make your dreams come true? And in, in a corporate setting, you know, that, that, that tends to be referral partners or it tends to be potential customers. Um, But it could also apply to the college student who's trying to figure out what the heck they want to do. And and they don't they 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 want to know hiring managers of companies they want to work for in their city but they don't know how to get to know them they just hope that their resume gets picked from a stack well if you started a show called you know best in huntington or whatever the name of the show would be and you went and interviewed business leaders at companies in your city now all of a sudden you would have relationships with people at these companies that could actually hire you and you took you took the you took the Took the reins of your own life instead of waiting on them to come to you, uh, you proactively did something that allowed you to go to them.
0: Well, and and James, I want to unpack that for just a second. There was a ton of truth there in in what you just said. That's the whole reason for the Intentional Encourager podcast because I've got 25 years of sales, sales management, customer engagement experience. There are a lot of people doing sales podcasts. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do a podcast that put expertise aside, because the reason that I did the Intentional Encourager podcast is, and I didn't realize it when we started was, when people are going through things like we've gone through with this pandemic, Mm -hmm. expertise is not nearly as important as encouragement. And I wanted to spotlight the stories. I wanted to tell the stories of people like yourself who are influencers on LinkedIn, who who have larger platforms, that I'm connected to and are friends with, that people didn't know the backside of the story. People didn't know the obstacles that they have overcome because everybody just sees, oh man, James has got this huge platform, he's, he's, he's killing it right now. Man, I wanted to showcase the grind. I wanted to showcase what was behind the reason why, that's why and that's why I reached out to you, James, was on a post. That, that I commented on and I said, man, why don't you come on the podcast and tell your story? And obviously it was compelling enough for you that we made it happen. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. And I love what you said there. It has never been easier to get your message across right now, especially if you're a business. Why not do a podcast? And, and not to offend anybody in the radio space that sells advertising or things like that, because it's a necessary component but man, you can you can advertise yourself and tell your own story in your podcast and be an authority in whatever you do. Let's say you let's say you're a tire shop in Huntington, like you mentioned. Yeah. Well, man, do a podcast on, hey, winter's coming. We're gonna do a podcast today. We're gonna do a 20-minute podcast on the stuff you need to do to winterize your car. And it's it's a commercial, it's a 20-minute infomercial mm-hmm. in a podcast. Or you know you call up the guy that's the the VP of marketing for Firestone and you have him yeah. on your podcast or the the VP of product development for Bridgestone and you have them on your podcast i love what you said there so let me go here just a minute james what do you think the biggest challenge is for podcasters today because the space is getting more and more crowded so what's the biggest challenge for podcasters that you see And, and how do podcasters kind of go, how how do they keep the fuel, the encouragement going to keep going when their audience doesn't seem to be growing? That's the question I really want to ask.
1: Yeah. So, so I, I think what I see most podcasters lacking, uh, they, they're doing it uh, for the love of talking to smart people. They're doing it for the love of. Uh, almost like the 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 art of it. It's a very fun thing to do. You're getting to hop on. And you're talking to people that you never would have talked to before. Uh, you're getting to have fascinating conversations. You're learning a ton yourself. But the thing that I see a lot of podcasters lacking is strategy with their show. And content based networking is is a is a critical piece of the strategy, especially if you're in B two B. And so many people think the show needs to be about me or the show needs to be about my expertise. But you notice with B2B Growth, we did not name the show the B2B podcasting show. And that was very intentional. We didn't name it the Sweetfish Media show. We named it B2B Growth because that's what our why ideal James, buyers Why James Why James
0: Carberry is an expert. You know, yeah. you didn't you didn't you didn't say that, right? Right.
1: And and so you do that for a couple different reasons. One, people that we're trying to reach, they're in-house B2B marketers at at these tech companies they're not searching for b2b podcasting inside of podcast apps because b2b podcasting is a sliver of what they're having to think about on a day-to-day basis they're thinking about how like how do they how do they grow the their company's brand they're thinking about how do i hit the metrics that my ceo is wanting me to hit they're thinking about uh mqls and sqls and how do i align with my sales team and so we, we want to create content that is helpful for them on their terms, and then we'll sprinkle in content that showcases our expertise, but the show is not about our expertise. So that's a, that's a massive mistake that I see companies make. They want to name the show after themselves or one of their core values or their expertise, when in reality, the people that they want to listen to the show don't actually care about their expertise as much as they care about getting their job done. And experiencing success in their job. And, and so the SEO firm that just does a show on SEO, uh, that's, that's, it's limited in, in the benefit that it's going to add to their ideal buyer uh, because uh, a show all about SEO uh, is likely going to, to draw a lot of your competition other agencies that only focus on SEO. So if we did a show on podcasting, it would likely draw. I mean, our biggest, we would have a much smaller audience than we have today. And most of our listeners would be our competitors that are also doing podcasts for, for companies. And so it, it just doesn't make a lot of strategic sense. The other thing that I see companies missing out on is, getting getting all the juice from the squeeze that they can from their podcast. So I'll give you two examples that I don't hear anybody talking about. Everybody knows you can turn it into micro videos and blog posts and you can turn it into a every podcast episode into a lot of different content. But what I don't hear people talking about um are original research and mastermind groups. So with every we're we're starting to go back to some former B2B growth guests and we're asking them to be in these uh, small groups of five to seven people. And I, you know, everybody, Brian, is talking about community in the macro. They tend to measure the success of a community by its size. And I really think that the success of a community uh, has more to do with uh, its its uh, intimacy, and intimacy is born in small numbers. And so, in a in a small group that meets monthly, five to seven people, you and I know 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 this well because of our experience with uh, with church and with our faith, but applying that to business. When you have a show and you're inviting strategic people to be a guest on, those sh- on on your show, those people could potentially do business with you. And after the interview, you ask them like, hey, I'm, I'm getting five or six other guests from the show to be a part of this monthly mastermind group. Uh, would you want to be a, a part of it? This is going to be the structure of the group. It's an hour a month. Uh, now you're developing real depth with those relationships yeah. and an ongoing way to keep in contact with them. So that's one way to, to leverage a podcast to create deeper relationship, which can map to business results. The other way is original research. So if you come up with five or 10 questions that you think your target market Would be interested in. And you ask those questions, not necessarily in the interview. I think that would make your interviews kind of boring if you just ask the same, you know, the same 10, 15 questions every time. But if you do it in the pre or post interview, record it separately, then you can round up all of the answers to those questions and put out original research that says, you know, for for us, we're in the middle of doing this, we've we've done 56 or 57 interviews with B2B marketers asking them the same 15 questions. And it's gonna fuel our entire 2021 content strategy from the insights that we're gonna pull from these 100 marketers answering these 15 questions. We're gonna be able to say things like, you know, 57% of the B2B marketers that we surveyed said that this was the most underrated B2B marketing tactic. Well, that's gonna be a really powerful insight for some for a B2B marketer to, to want to know, which is going to make them want to consume more of our content and ultimately get them interested in possibly working with us when it comes time for them to want to do a podcast. So original research and mastermind groups are two massive ways to squeeze more juice out of your show. And I think when you start to see all of the benefits that come from it, whenever you see that your show is only getting 67 downloads an episode, it doesn't really matter to you because you're getting value from it in so many other ways.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the thing, James. It, it, and I love what you said there because again, I think people are, we, we live in a society and, and, and I was, I just released an episode with Bunny Sumner Young that you can go see. She's a yeah. business therapist and Bunny said something great about social media. She said there most people post on social media or interact on social media and it's it's a dopamine release it yeah. is a it is a you know let me refresh let me see you know who's commenting who's liking things like that i love what you said there about the number of downloads because somebody could come on on your podcast they could drop an unbelievable nugget of knowledge that to them is a throwaway line, mm-hmm. but to you and your team, you had that, and and I had that moment with guests. Mm-hmm. A guest will tell me a story, and they may think, or part of their story, and they may think, "Oh, that's I've always told that that part of the story." Yeah, and and for me, it's like, "Oh my gosh, there it is!" It's mm-hmm. that it's that money, what I call the money note moment. It's that mm-hmm. aha moment that you wait for an entire episode and there it is to your guest. It's a throwaway line to you. It's, it's incredibly, it's, it's like, there it is. Like if I'm going to audio clip that, if I'm going to audio clip anything, I'm audio clipping that because it's, it's, it's the thing that resonates. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about resonance for a moment in a podcast, because I, I want to pick your brain on this one as well too Somebody's listening and they go, I know why I listen to podcasts, but why for a a business is it important to know why other people listen to podcasts?
1: Yeah, so I think businesses need to understand uh, that businesses don't listen to podcasts, right? Humans do and and so we and we also don't sell to businesses we sell to humans that work for businesses and so you hear a lot of people in b2b say that it's not b2b it's p2p it's person to person and human to human Um, you hear all of that all the time and I think you've got to apply that to this medium people are listening to podcasts and they're not just listening to business podcasts or listening to podcasts about parenting about their faith about uh about serial, you know the 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 you know whatever the murder mystery you know podcasts and stuff that that are happening all over the platform right now yeah and and so uh humans are listening and if humans are 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 paying attention to something then you as a business need to figure out how to get yourself there and i i think you've got to be able to deliver really valuable and to your point, relevant content. Um, there's there's one thing that we've been teaching a lot this year. Uh, we call it POV discovery. It stands for point of view discovery. Yeah. And uh, with the, the thing that we've been teaching a lot of our clients to do um, is to ask three questions in the pre-interview with your guest. And in that pre-interview, uh, you're trying to draw out a distinct point of view, something that they believe that a lot of other people might not believe or they might not be exposed to that type of thinking in those three questions the first one is what's a commonly held belief in our space that you just passionately disagree with and that will get them talking about something that probably goes against the grain of of common knowledge that content since tends to be incredible the other two questions are similar it's what's something that people Uh, in our space should start doing today that they are not currently doing and then the next one is what's something that people in our space should stop doing today that they probably are doing but but is hurting them in some way yeah and so when you ask those three questions you're gonna get three different responses you then pick up on what's the most compelling thing that this person said and let's build the episode around that what's the most unique differentiated point of view from those three different point of views that they just shared and let's hone in on that and then whenever we go to do the interview we're not just talking about fluffy duffy the same stuff that you know if it, it, you brian being in the sales and marketing space you know that everybody talks about sales and marketing alignment and that your sales and your marketing team needs to be aligned. If I hear one more person tell me that sales and marketing needs to be aligned, I'm gonna go through throw my head through a wall.
0: Yeah, hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I wanna tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now what's that you might say? Well, search engine optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value, so much so that he still has his first customers. After opening SEO National 14 years ago, let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Let me me jump in there. I I, got to jump in there. First of all, shameless plug, People Buy From People, my book will be out. Like November. So, you know, shameless plug on my own podcast (laughs) there, but, but you, you brought that up. I don't think sales and marketing should ever be aligned because marketing has typically has no idea what sales does, especially outside sales, which was, was the world I lived in for, for over 20 years. Because again, you've got somebody in an office typically. and, And if the marketing person does go out into the field, it's to work with salespeople to gotta get get a feel yeah. of what. So I think you're a hundred percent right. And the second thing I wanted to jump on there and kind of piggyback is this. And I said this when I was talking to somebody, just on a one off conversation. I said, listen, I would rather be a contrarian than a copycat. Mm, yeah. Because here's the thing, and you, you, James, you, you hit on it, and I love the way you hit on it think about people that are absolutely crushing it in business right now they're disruptors yeah they are absolutely disrupting to the the market to the point that people have to pay attention mm-hmm. and then once they've gotten that attention they're able to attract that customer because they say listen if we screw up once you don't ever have to do business with us again yeah and they take that really rogue radical approach and go listen if you give us a shot once and you don't like it, listen, we won't bother you again. Mm -hmm. We failed. But if you give us an opportunity and you really like the experience, you like what we're about, we would just ask you to continue to do business with us again and again. And they're disrupting mindsets and they're disrupting Mm -hmm. thinking. I love that, man. I had to jump in there because I think those questions are critical that businesses are not asking about right now. It's like, okay, why would you not mm-hmm. want to totally disrupt the thinking of your customer? Yeah. Because if they're, if they're not thinking about you, who are they thinking about your competition? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I love that. James let's pivot in the, in the time that we have left. I yeah. want to be respectful of your time and the audience's time. Let's pivot to telling your story. You and I talked briefly before we jumped on here. You've got an interesting background, And so I want you to take us as far back as you want to from point A to where we are today and tell your story along your journey of how you got here to where you are.
1: Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a very, very small town in uh, central Oklahoma. I was born in California, moved to California or moved to Oklahoma when I was two. And, uh, and was raised by a single mom. So my sister and I were raised uh, by a single mom. Dad left when I was about two, came back into my life uh, a little bit you know, later. I was like 20, 21. He recently passed away, um, but we were fortunate to have built a relationship in the, in the later part of his life. And so uh, grew up single mom and uh, grew up Catholic. And so didn't really have a relationship with Jesus until I turned 15. Um, and, uh, at 15 became a, became a Christian, gave my life to Christ. And really at that point, uh, I started getting discipled by my best friend at the time. His name was Chris Wallace. And that was a massive turning point in my life, obviously. Um, so Chris's investment in my life in high school, uh, really, uh, just, uh, it cemented in me what my priorities should be. So I want to, hey, I want to jump wanna in here. People.
0: I got to jump in here. Yeah. When, so your dad leaves when you're two, you, yep. you and your family moved to Oklahoma, single mom. What was that like growing up for you as a kid, not having your dad around? Because we see that more prevalent yeah. in today's society. The book that I'm writing is about my dad. My dad was in mm-hmm. my life until the day he died. And I often wonder what it's like for you growing up.
1: Yeah. Did did so, it
0: affect you? How how did you how did you work through that as a kid yeah
1: so i'm i'm sure i'm sure it affected me um but when you're a kid i mean you just you know what you know and so because he left when i was so young i i didn't know what it was like to have a dad around so my reality it, it was just normal for me. I hung out with a bunch of guys that didn't have dads too. So it, you were almost like in our little circle, um, if we ever started hanging out with somebody that actually had a dad, uh, we 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 kind of saw them as the oddball. Um, and so uh, I, I think I was very, very fortunate in that way. I wasn't, I, I don't, I wasn't a bitter kid. I wasn't, I wasn't pissed that I didn't, you know, didn't have my dad around. I'm sure it was hurtful and I'm sure I've got, you know, some issues as an adult from, you know, the, the ramifications of not having a father uh, in in my life in those in those days. But I think, I don't know, it's just been really cool to see God's hand on my life in and in, in, in the ways that he's provided for me not having that by putting incredible men in my life uh chris in high school and then that parlaying into college and having incredible mentors getting involved in in our church in college and and having guys that were on staff at the church really pour into me invest in me um call me to to stepping into leadership that i didn't really think that i was um capable of of doing. And in stepping into that leadership, God continuing to to refine things and and put more people into my life. And so uh, so I I get into college, I'm I'm really thriving at that point. I started to come out of my shell. I'd started to figure out that I was really curious about people and and because of my curiosity for people uh it i it kind of i've kind of became a people magnet so it was very like i i was i at our house my i bought a house when i was 21 we would always have people come over to our house we were the kind of the house where everybody wanted to hang out and I loved it I was like living my best life whenever there were you know 27 pairs of shoes in my uh, in my front little you know right by the front door and so uh, really started to uh, see that God had wired me in this way to try to build community and want to bring people together and um, so that was incredible and then won a sweepstakes when I was 22 years old. I didn't win it, but my roommate's brother-in-law won this sweepstakes through Altel. and it was one of those things where you, you know, text 1-800 Alltel to, or you text football to 1-800 Alltel, and you win an all-expense trip to a professional football game of your choice. We we got to win that uh, sweepstakes. We go to New York City, watch a Giants-Cowboys game with Barry Sanders. It's this unreal experience okay
0: i gotta ask you I, i've been i've been dying to ask this yeah growing up in oklahoma sooners or cowboys
1: uh sooners for sure
0: okay so you you grow up an ou fan and you win this all expense paid sweepstakes yeah You don't get to hang out with Troy Aikman or Brian Bosworth (laughs) who played at Oklahoma. You
1: hang out with Barry Sanders who plays for the other guys. Yeah. Yeah. It was still pretty sick. I don't, I don't care where he played in college. Oh, it would be incredible,
0: uh, man. I, you know, like I said, yeah. That was unreal.
1: But, but on that, on that sweepstakes, Brian, I met a guy named Jeff and I thought Jeff just worked for Alltale. He was facilitating all the transportation for the trip and uh, he uh, so he was, he had arranged the limo bus, he had arranged the jet, all that stuff, really behind the scenes, but he was on site as well, kind of making sure that we were getting from point A to point B. And I just hit it off with Jeff. Again, at this point, I had already discovered that I was very curious about people. So I was asking a lot of questions um, and we ended up talking about business, faith, you know, we ran the gamut on the the, the topics that I talked about with Jeff. And so by the end of the night, he gave me his business card. We swapped contact information, and I really didn't think anything of it. I thought, I'm never going to see this guy again. So we got back on the jet, went back to Oklahoma. It was a one-day trip. And about uh, a year later, um, you know, I'd stayed connected with Jeff. And about a year, year and a half later, he called and asked if I wanted to move to Orlando, Florida to run the helicopter division of his business and i you know i was blown away i thought never in a million years would i get the opportunity to go and and run do helicopter logistics for nascar his his clients were in the nascar space and i thought well this is crazy so prayed about it took the opportunity and ended up moving to orlando and that and that relationship with jeff really changed the trajectory of my entire life i i was working corporate jobs um, bounced around from insurance to oil and gas. And it just felt like a fish out of water. Like I, I, I knew I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be doing the corporate thing, but I didn't know what else to do. None of my friends yeah. were entrepreneurs. I, did, I wasn't exposed to anybody else doing their own thing. And so by getting the opportunity to go work for Jeff and see an, a, an entrepreneur operate a business day in and day out, it gave me the confidence that, like, oh man, this is what I should be doing. I I should be running my own business, not trying to go make it work in corporate America. And so I worked for Jeff for three years. Uh, met my wife in Orlando. We met at our at our church here in Orlando. And so, uh, apart from that chance, serendipitous encounter with Jeff, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a business today more than likely, and I wouldn't have met my my wife. And so I say all that to say that. Um, that I, I relied on serendipity, and most of us, I think, rely on serendipity to meet the people that we have in our lives. And so when we came up with the concept for content-based networking, it was really out of a desire to help people not have to depend on serendipity for 100% of the relationships that can have a life-changing impact on their life? What if instead of depending on serendipity and depending on winning a sweepstakes and meeting somebody that could offer you a job a year later and bring you to a city where you'd meet your spouse and open your eyes to to what your career would be, what if instead you proactively said, what do I want to accomplish? What are the dreams and goals that I have for my life? Who are the types of people that could help me get to those dreams and goals? And then how can I create content with those people so that i can ultimately build a friendship and and hopefully add value to them so that they can in in you know that they can help me get to where i'm wanting to go but i've got to make it about them yeah. and and so so that's that's really the the story that led um to what we're doing today now we produce podcasts for companies using this same strategy helping them find their you know ideal referral partners ideal customers Um, and, uh, yeah, so in a, in a nutshell, that's, that's the story.
0: I got to ask you when, when you connected with Jeff and, and, and it's a, it's a one day sweepstakes trip, you're going with your buddies, but you're meeting people and you're like, man, I'm probably never going to connect with these people again or, or have anything when, when, when you get around a guy like Jeff, what's the one thing that you learned from Jeff? that really helped you and really kind of shaped what you would go go to do because you stay connected and then he gives you an, he calls you for an opportunity, but mm-hmm. what was it that you specifically learned from him that's helped you propel yourself in your own businesses?
1: Yeah. So I I think persistence, um, in, in that, and I don't know if i necessarily learned that on that day, we talked about a lot of things and that was, I don't know 12 years ago so I don't I don't know the remember the specific nuances of the conversation um on the day that I met him I I know I I remember being enthralled you know learning that he was the CEO of this global logistics company that that did stuff with you know Verizon and the Olympics and you know the Super Bowl and did all these massive events I remember being just captivated at like Oh man, and you started this company like you did this yourself. So, so I there was just a fascination um, to the life, like about the life that he had been able to build for himself, and here he is, like it's it's this guy that did it. Um, it, it, He's not, you know, an employee of the guy that did it. He's the actual guy that did it, and uh, and and I think just never having been exposed to to somebody that had started something that became a successful enterprise that you know employed other people and was making an impact in the world and providing jobs and um so that was that was really fascinating to me um and then uh staying in contact with him afterwards was more just a you know like he i think he had invited me and another friend of mine to work some events for him so we ended up going out to vegas and like being a contractor at at one of the events like a nascar banquet that he was doing a couple months later um and so we had we had had a couple other interactions in person between the time that i met him initially and the time that he asked me to to uh to join his business uh but i was just i I was blown away by uh his story what he'd accomplished um he just seemed to have an an enormous amount of humility we have we shared the same faith And, uh, and he just seemed, seemed like somebody that really wanted to invest in, uh, in, in the younger, like in the younger generation. And, uh, it was super motivational and inspirational for me.
0: I got to ask you this. You, you talked about something just a couple of minutes ago, and I've got to go here real quick with you. What was the reunion like between you and your dad when, when you, when you finally came back together, you, you mentioned your dad passed away. Yeah, um, not so long ago. But you mentioned that you that he came back in, you left when you were a baby, came back into your life as a young man. Yeah. What was that like? With with your dad coming back into your life? And what did you learn about your dad and the reasons that 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 he left if he shared those yeah. with you? And, you know, what what was you, what did you really learn about your dad to go? Okay, now I can put all these pieces together.
1: Yeah. So he came back, uh, he had a real, he just lived a very hard life. Um, and had came actually, I, I only found this out recently from going to his celebration of life and meeting some of his family. He actually came from a really great family. Um, un, unfortunately, you know, his dad left when he was very, very young, I think like six or something like that. Um, and I think he was the, he was the youngest of five or six kids. Um, and so, Uh, he just, I I think had a, had a tough upbringing with a mom, you know, with a mom that's trying to balance, you know, six kids. He's the youngest. Um, he had two siblings that pretty tragically, you know, passed away when he was a teenager. One of them, uh, one of them committed suicide on my dad's birthday, which kind of haunted him the rest Mm -hmm. of his life. Um, another one that died, I, I Pretty sure of a drug overdose. Um, they called it a. They they said it had to do something with like it was heart failure, but really it was a. I, I think it was a drug overdose, and uh, and so it was a. It was, it was a tough. He just he had a he had a couple really traumatic things happen to him early in his life, and I don't know that he had the emotional support or anyone to come around him to help him process through that pain. And so uh so that that's what I found out about him. He had gotten to a point in his life where he'd kind of hit rock bottom and you know, he he had lost his his uh job and his uh previous marriage had you know had not mater- you know, had, had ended. And so he had reached out to my mom and I, I think, you know, out of just hey, I don't have anywhere to go, my mom was like, Okay, well, you know, James is in college now, you can come up to Oklahoma and stay in his room and i remember when she told me that my my knee jerk reaction was this guy who bailed on you to raise two kids um yourself is now wanting to come back into your life and uh what like why why would you do that that was my knee jerk reaction and almost instantly i rem- i i remember god like coming down into my into my brain and saying like who are you to like this, like you are full of sin, and apart from like my grace in your life. Yeah, he'll do that, man. He'll do that. Yeah, yeah. Like you would be in the exact same situation. So who are you to uh, to tell your mom that he sh- that she shouldn't welcome this man back in the way that that I've embraced you as as my son? And so um, so at that point, it, it just kind of made the mental shift for me that. Um man, I'm if my you know, my mom's gonna let this guy back in, I then I'm gonna let this guy back in. And in the same way that God has extended uh grace to me and forgiveness for me, what why on earth would I, as the receiver of grace and forgiveness, have like what what like what makes me so special to not be able to ex- extend grace and forgiveness to this this man that you know left when I was a, a little boy? And so uh, decided that I would, you know, embrace him as well. And so when he came up to Oklahoma, um, you know, I was uh, I was super involved in college, so I didn't I didn't see him, you know, a lot. But would try to, you know, go to Thunder games with him whenever I could, or uh, hang out with you know hang out with him, you know, on occasion. And just started to build a friendship. Um, and it was really cool, man. It was it was just a really cool redemptive story. Um, to be able to build a friendship with a guy that I just never thought you know would would be a part of my life, and he ended up moving to Florida uh, the last few years of his life, and so we were even you know he, he got to be a part of my marriage and uh, my wife and i don 't you know don 't have kids yet, so he, he unfortunately wasn 't a, a a, wasn 't able to be a part of you know of, of that part of my wife and i 's story but um, but it was really cool for him to 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 be in such close proximity to us uh, in the last few years of his life. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's, that's how that went. No, I'm glad we took time to
0: to go there because I, I wanted to file that away. I was, I was really hoping that we could get there and that's why I wanted to come back to it. James, I've got to ask you, what's the biggest obstacle that you've overcome and the lesson that you learned from it?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest obstacle for me was probably there's there's been a lot of them Uh, I think I think going from zero to one and going from doing a corporate thing and just kind of believing that I had to um, that I had to work for someone else and then making that shift from I've got to work for someone else to no, I can I can build something on my own And you always think that it's going to happen so much faster than what it actually does. I mean, I've, when we started, we started Sweetfish in January, 2015 and I, you know, I I had gotten married later that year. And I remember telling my wife, we're going to make it, we're going to like, we're going to be millionaires. We're going to like, we're going to be able to be outlandishly generous with, with, uh, with our, with our money. Like we're, I, we're, I, I remember just how, like, I was so convinced of it um, and I was convinced that it was gonna happen like that year or the next year and uh, and it just doesn't work out that way we're now you know six years into this thing and uh, and you know we've got 20 employees and the business has grown but it's it it just took so much more time than I thought and so I think my encouragement for folks would be, I mean, that, cause that was a really, it's just a really tough reality to yeah, live in. go there, I mean, go
0: there. you you're, you're going to follow up. That's the last question I was going to ask yeah. you is what's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement? Cause I'm hearing you talk James. And I hear a quote that I love from Dave Ramsey. He said it took me 20 years to become an overnight success. Yes. And so, you know, share your biggest piece of intentional encouragement with somebody listening today.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so I, I just, I think my encouragement would be, it takes time. You showing up day after day after day, uh, getting kicked in the mouth, uh, repeatedly. There's been so many parts of this journey where, um, where you, uh, someone misunderstands your intent. Um, I've been labeled things that I never thought I would, have been labeled um because that's not my heart it's not my intent but uh but like people perceive things differently um uh, i i man there's just been so, so many different uh so many different potholes along the way that i didn't expect um and i i think the biggest thing is it just takes time if you want something that i hear my one of my virtual mentors is gary v and something i hear him t- say all the time is if you want to live a one percent life if you want to live a life that everybody dreams of living right like only doing the things you want to do on your timetable with the people that you want to be around if you want to live that kind of life then you've got to be pretty audacious to think that you can you can do that in a year or two or three i mean like it takes years and years and years of investing in 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 with that focus of like trying to build a certain type of life for yourself, um, and if you think that you're gonna snap your fingers and that's just gonna be handed to you on a silver platter, then you've got another thing coming because nobody that's ever achieved uh, the things that you want to achieve did it overnight. Um, and uh, and I know that's you know it's tried and true because every you know everybody says it, uh, but I hope that somebody listening that you know heard a component of my story or some some way that I framed it that hopefully is helpful and and is hopefully something that maybe uh colors in a part of the uh, a part of that advice that maybe you haven't heard before
0: well this has been awesome this has been wildly entertaining I've enjoyed every minute of it um James tell people how they can get connected with you your content your business out there and you want to work with James and his team Tell people how they can go about doing that.
1: Yeah. So uh, James at is my email. Sweetfishmedia.com is our website. And then just James Carberry, C-A-R-B-A-R-Y on LinkedIn. Would love to connect with anybody there as well. Yeah, you you are a
0: lover of cherry coke zero, which yes. immediately gets gets to my because again, I, I, I gotta share this with you, man. I didn't drink soft drinks for about three and a half years after I had weight loss surgery. Mm. Then one day I was rolling through the Charlotte Airport in Charlotte, North Carolina, saw this product called Coke Zero, and I'm like, "All right, let me try this out." It was like, it was like alcohol to an alcoholic. I was (laughs) at that point, I was all in. And so my my 20 year old son comes to me last year and goes, "Listen, you're starting to worry me. You're drinking a lot more of this than you really need to." He said, "I tell you what, every time you do," have a Coke zero, you owe me 10 bucks. <laughs> so that really dialed me back. I can have one on special occasions, but My man, I always love me super Coke zero, oh, I probably drink way too needs, much. And so the, the ultimate thanks goes deal. to the Lord Jesus the Christ the God? to provide intentional those, encouragement every day. Is is and until next time, remember, everywhere have to everywhere, everywhere any time, any place, and yeah, you can you can do raspberry, cherry, yeah. orange, peach, whatever kind of Coke Zero you think you can concoct, yes. you can do that. So that I think that's my goal someday when my son moves out and I go. Well, you, you don't live here anymore. I'll just do what I want to do. My 1% life is having a Coca-Cola freestyle machine yes. in my house.
1: Yes. I, I might have to tell my wife to get me that for Christmas this year.
0: Yeah. And Swedish Fish, my son loves Swedish Fish. So <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's awesome. James Carberry, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast.
1: Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it.